0: tappers what's up it is the tuesday edition of the daily tap hope you're doing well we have a good show today we're going to talk about the myth of the middle linebacker in lieu of the kamal martin release we are also going to talk about the brewer power rankings where they sit right now and then we'll continue our eye on the enemy series by talking about the new orleans saints a team that played on monday night football yesterday and a team that the Green Bay Packers will face in week number one in a primetime spot. So look forward to all of that. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe. We always appreciate it. Um, they mean a lot to us. If you give us a rating, um, that means the world also too. Um, you can follow us on all the socials. We're, we've been cooking a lot of content there. Uh, the mini keg on on TikTok has been doing really well. It's having the keg sports. Um, on TikTok, as well as Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, it's tapping the keg, and the reason why the difference is because Twitter doesn't allow more than 16 characters, which was news to me, I didn't know that. But yes, so make sure you're following us on socials, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. Be like, hey look, we're getting into the football season, you gotta listen to this guy. I, I appreciate all the love, I appreciate all the support. Um, like we said, yesterday, podcast tomorrow, and then we have a couple evergreen things for Thursday and Friday because of the wedding. But let's talk about Kamal Martin. Let's talk about the middle linebacker position. Kamal Martin got released on Monday. It was a little bit of a surprise. I think a lot of people did not see that coming. Even though Kamal Martin did struggle in the preseason game against the Jets, it wasn't something that I think people saw as, okay, they're gonna cut bait immediately, even though he looked really bad. And we are all allowed to have bad games here and there. But Kamal Martin did not fit with this scheme. He was trying a new position, which should have been a red flag that Kamal Martin was gonna play some outside linebacker. I think immediately, I thought of it and I was like, wow, that's actually a good thing i think we might done a podcast segment or i wrote about it i can't remember so much going on right now it's hard to remember what you wrote what you didn't if you thought about it and didn't do it but regardless i liked the idea i was like okay cool like come on martin can bang like maybe this is you know an opportunity for martin to sort of further his impact with the packers But what turns out is that Kamal Martin was having a really bad camp. It turns out Kamal Martin's knee was kind of fucked up and kind of not where it needed to be. And he looked lost out there multiple times against the Jets. So instead of Green Bay trying to work with him, they released him because they probably like the other guys they have. They have Oren Burks, Devondre Campbell, Ray Wilborn, Isaiah McDuffie, who's a draft pick this year, and Ty Summers. I'm not wild about Ty Summers either. Um, I think Ty Summers should be on the chopping block. I'm not sure if that's something the Packers have discussed. Um, Summers does play a lot of special teams, so maybe not. But I I don't know if they'll keep five middle linebackers, and they certainly weren't gonna keep six. So getting ahead of it with Martin, not a bad idea. And I said on tabbingthekegsports.com that it shows the depth of the Packers, right? That they are able to get rid of a guy like Martin. They're able to trade a guy like Kadar Hallman. Um, And that shows more of the depth of those positions, middle linebacker, as well as the cornerback. And you can read more about Hallman on the website. We're not going to talk too much about it because we're going to talk about the middle linebacker. And there were a lot of people who were upset that Martin was leaving because Martin showed flashes and it goes to the age old discussion of why the Packers do not seem to care about the middle linebacker position just because they don't draft it as a top 100 pick. They haven't done that really since AJ Hawk years ago and they don't necessarily make big free agent signings. Now people I think have a misconception of what the middle linebacker is. I think popular culture tells us that middle linebackers are this very important position. It has always been something revered in in football since the days of your grandpa, maybe even your great-grandpa, honestly. But in reality, middle linebackers have sort of faded into into sort of the sunsets. Like, they're not as important as they used to be. I mean, think about a guy like Luke Kuechly, right? Luke Kuechly was one of the better middle linebackers of the last 15 years. Luke Kuechly might be a Hall of Famer, might not be, I'm not sure, right? He made a ton of Pro Bowls, but did Luke Kuechly really have that much of an impact at the position? Luke Kuechly was great. You look through his stats, he was an excellent player throughout his career, but it did not result in a super, they went to one Super Bowl with Cam Newton, so in 2015, but it wasn't like Luke Kuechly was the reason he wasn't the catalyst of everything he he made a lot of tackles but that's kind of it right and you can have leaders all over the field you you have leaders at the edge position you have leaders up front and really what makes middle linebackers good is the guys up front the guys who create holes for the linebackers to fill that's football 101 that is basic ass football. And so linebackers look better when their defensive line is helping them out. That's every middle linebacker. There are some that are able to sort of rise above that, right? Like your Mike Singletary's, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, those guys are able to sort of rise above. That said, it all really starts up front. And you can make any middle linebacker look good if you're creating holes. And I do think that what the Packers have up front with a guy like Kenny Clark, with uh, their new draft pick TJ Slayton, um, they Jack Halfland's getting a lot of buzz. Dean Lowry, like they they have guys that can kind of create and make shit happen, so that they're able to fill holes. And if Walmart wasn't filling those holes then there's no use for him, right? And so the Packers don't always need to have this stalwart at the middle linebacker position. Middle linebacker has a purpose. You need middle linebackers to at least help control some of the middle of the field stuff, right? When you're dealing with tight ends uh, in terms of pass coverage, and in terms of, as we just mentioned, filling the hole but they're not as important as I think people make them out to be. I think they just just are not, right? Like I would rather, if you had to build a defense, I think what you would want is you would want a really good cornerback. You'd want a pretty good safety and I'll get to safeties in a second. And then you also want to have a really dynamic edge rusher. Those I think are the three or four things that you need in a defense. And then I think you can talk about middle linebacker. Even then, I think I'd rather have a nose or a really powerful, you know, up front line, like the, you know, having a defensive tackle in a 4-3 versus a 3-4. I think I'd go there before I'm even talking about a middle linebacker. And I'd argue that the safety position is more important than a middle linebacker in today's NFL. I think 10 years ago, middle linebackers served a far greater importance when running the football was leaned on more. But now that passing has become more important, I think safeties are the new middle linebackers in a way because they are making sure that the tight ends aren't leaking out. They are making sure that runs are getting filled from from the back, that they are kind of the last line of defense, that they are some, sometimes coming up and playing a linebacker-like position. Like think about Darnell Savage last year down the stretch. Darnell Savage was playing more of a rover position and rover for those playing at home is a combination of a linebacker and a safety. You see it more in college, but in today's NFL, it's becoming more and more common. And so Savage playing that position, not only helped against the run, but it also helped against the pass. It helped against the short slant routes. It helped against the flat routes. And Savage was playing that position beautifully. And at times, Savage looked like an all pro. And I think he, you can expect him to have a big season. So in a lot of ways, what people want out of a middle linebacker, I think they're getting out of Darnell Savage. But because we hear the names and the, like I said, the Erlachers, the Lewises, um, those guys always get mentioned. But in a lot of ways, players such as, as Savage are making as much of an impact. It's just a little different. And I think sometimes it's hard for us as fans to adapt. It's hard for us to understand that middle linebackers are a little bit different in today's NFL versus what they were years ago. And that happens. That's that's sports. And I think as we progress, as we go on, I think more and more people will understand that middle linebackers aren't that valued. I mean, look at the contracts that have been given out to middle linebackers in the last couple of years. I understand that the cap has changed, but look at, I mean, just understand this. Looking at the contracts, if you take away what CJ Mosley and Quan Alexander got pre-pandemic CJ Mosley got 85 million, Quan Alexander got 54 million. Linebacking middle linebacker contracts have sort of fallen off a cliff. Um, you this last year you only had Kyle Van Noy making 12 million dollars for 2 years for, from the New England Patriots. He was the only guy that made above 10 million dollars in his contract last season in terms of middle linebackers. The year prior, Joe Schobert got 53 million from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Van Noy got 51 million from Miami. Corey Littleton got 35 million. Uh, Van Noy uh, was you know, moved. He got released. Schobert got traded. So you look at this and you say, all right, middle linebackers are just not doing what they used to do. The value of middle linebackers is tanking. And I think as years go on, we're gonna see less and less big contracts handed out to middle linebackers and more little deals like the Devondre Campbell deal that you're going to see. And that's what's going to be more of the new norm. I think the Packers are early on this. I think there are some teams who are still stuck in you know years past and that as time goes on and the cream rises to the top, you're going to see a shift change here. And look, I understand that Tampa Bay has Devin White and they have Levante David. And those are two of the best middle linebackers in football. I fully understand that. But those guys are less less like middle linebackers of old and more like the roving safeties that we were just mentioned. They're a little bit bigger, right? But they are more of that edge rush. Like they're not a middle linebacker. They're just a linebacker. Like middle linebackers of old are dead. And I think that's the part that we get hung up on. Just because White and David play that position doesn't mean their responsibilities are of a middle linebacker. They are doing so much more out there. They are covering so much field. And they're also anomalies. And sometimes anomalies happen. So you still are gonna have good middle linebackers. Don't get me wrong. But they are not valued as they used to and as time goes on more and more people are going to look at the safety position and say that is the new middle linebacker and we're also going to look at the edge position and say that is the most important linebacker position but time it it takes time with this stuff and football fans especially are sometimes stuck in their ways so as as we develop we're going to see more and more of that Moving on to the power rankings that MLB.com put out for your Milwaukee Brewers and all of baseball, honestly. The Brewers are right now fifth in the power rankings. They sit behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. They sit behind, ooh, They they also sit behind the San Francisco Giants, Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, and then there's where the Brewers are. The White Sox, Yankees, and Braves are behind them. Cincinnati Reds at 10. So it's interesting that the Dodgers are the new number one. They've won nine straight games, or they did win nine straight games, excuse me, lost to New York Mets on Sunday. So they've won nine of their last 10. Dodgers are hot. Dodgers are getting hot at the right time. They're doing it without Mookie Betts. I think he might've just came back or he's soon to come back. So they, they are doing it in a big way. And the Dodgers, it's not surprising the creams rising to the top. The Dodgers were always gonna be the team that the Brewers needed to beat to win the World Series. That's plain and simple. I don't think it's a surprise that the Los Angeles Dodgers are at the number one spot, nor do I feel like the Brewers are being quote unquote disrespected at the five position. Maybe with the Astros, which we can get to in a second, But I do think that the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Um, They have the best talent. They're playing really well. I don't think it's a surprise to any of us that the Dodgers are at the top position this week. If you're putting this week in a vacuum, they've won nine of their last 10. They should be the top team. They should be the top dog. Now, if a team like the Brewers, say they go to San Francisco and they win three out of four against the Giants, they're hot, maybe they win, I don't know, eight of 10 or something like that. Yeah, the Brewers probably get a little bump up. People start kind of talking a little more about the Brewers because that shows that Milwaukee can win in San Francisco if there is an NLCS matchup between those two teams. And it's crazy that the top two teams in the power rankings they're going to have to play each other in a five game series likely that the brewers are going to maybe sort of sneak their way into the championship series now the braves are no slouch. right now the brewers and braves would be the matchup which would be a hell of a matchup and atlanta has figured out their pitching they have a really good offense the additions that alex antropoulos made this off season or this trade deadline were great um, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall they did a really good job of replacing Ronald Acuna with guys who added more power to that lineup and have made the Braves much more dangerous. We The rubber met the road with the Yankees yesterday for the Braves who lost 5-1 and the Yankees continue to just be a juggernaut and the Yankees are going to push on the Brewers for that fifth spot. In a lot of ways honestly I think the Brewers and Astros should be flipped. The Astros continue to struggle they lost the Royals again. They've lost like three, what, four of their last five to to Kansas City, and the Astros continue to sort of disappoint against bad teams. I can't, I can't really vouch for them to be the fourth best team. Um, and their lead against the Athletics is three and a half. But the Mariners are kind of right there too, hanging around. So I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kind of cap for the Astros. And I know it's like, well, Charlie, of course you want the Brewers at the four spot, but that's where really kind of where I think they are. I think they've played well enough to elicit that. I mean, they just came off an eight and two road trip. I understand they played the Cubs and the Pirates, but still like the Reds were 10th, lost two out of three to the Cubs. And I realize power rankings are subjective and they're very masturbatory, but, but bear with me here. The Brewers at least deserve that four spot. I understand the Rays at three. The Rays beat the White Sox two out of three. The Rays have been rolling. That offense has been absolutely on fire for the last, what seems like three or four weeks. Now playing the Orioles a lot, which they have has helped. But still, that that's baseball, right? You get fat on the teams you play. You can't help when you play a team in the schedule and they played the, the Orioles during their 18-game losing streak, I believe twice, maybe three times. So that's just a benefit for the Tampa Bay Rays. And on top of that, you have the Giants who just keep winning baseball games. Like, they do not stop. They do not quit. It's unreal, right? Like, they, they won two out of three against the Oakland Athletics this weekend. And in both games, they trailed early on, and they came back. That's the annoying thing about the Giants if you're a Brewer fan where you're like, is this team actually beatable? Like, I think they did a side-by-side on Sports Center that the Dodgers and Giants have the same record after the All-Star break. It's 23 and 12. The Giants have given the Dodgers no room to advance in the NL West race. It's absolutely absurd. And every time that I think people expect the Giants to take a step back, they don't. They just keep coming at you, man. And they're really impressive. And... We'll talk about it, I think actually would be a good topic for when we get back from the wedding and it's Giants-Brewers next week, is would you rather play the Giants or the Dodgers in a seven game series? Because I think you could make a case both sides. I think a case could be made on both sides of that argument about why you would rather play the Dodgers, even though the Giants have a lot of guys that just don't belong. So we'll, we'll see if the Giants are able to close the deal. Because sometimes with these type of teams, We see them fall off in September. I think back to the 2014 Brewers where they were so good for all year and it seemed like they were playing over their head because they just had a lot of guys that didn't exactly belong, that didn't exactly feel like they were playoff guys. And then the bottom completely fell out in in September. I have no idea if that's going to happen to the Giants. We'll see. They're well coached with Gabe Kapler. And they have again have some talent that goes beyond just you know random guys like Darren Ruff stepping up to the plate. So I know Mitch and I said, well, the Giants were not as scary as the Dodgers, but you keep watching them, and and I think the more and more serious they get as World Series contenders, and the Rays just keep coming at you, and I think the Rays are the worst nightmare for baseball. I think there is a here in the baseball offices, if you're having cocktails with Rob Manfred, he's like, dude, we cannot have the fucking Rays in the World Series. Like, we have to do everything in our power to avoid Tampa Bay, and even if they're playing LA, or Tampa Bay in San Francisco, or Tampa Bay in Milwaukee, or Tampa Bay in Atlanta, like, we can't have it. Especially when you have the Yankees who are red hot, and the Yankees put butts in the seats. And you have you have a potential New York LA World Series. I mean, that's come everywhere for Major League Baseball. Same with New York and San Francisco. The old you know, uh, New York Giants, whatever. That that to me, like they would. That's that's like Randy Marsh, right? That's covering the walls right there for baseball. Um, as well as Chicago, like Chicago LA again another series that would be amazing for baseball, as well as San Francisco. Baseball wants no part of Tampa Bay and Milwaukee. I, I hate to do that. Mitch, Mitch is always usually the one, and Mitch criticized me when I said this last week in a, in a text thread, but it, it's clear as day, right? There's a lot of major market players, and yet there are the Rays who just keep winning baseball games and really look like the best team in the American League. Trust me, Rob Manfred does not want any part of that team. So I I am assuming we'll get Yankees raised at some point down the stretch. And I'll be fascinated to see how the Yankees stack up against that Tampa team, who they've struggled with in the past. But it's clear the Yankees have turned a corner and are a much different team than what they were three or four weeks ago. As for the Brewers, it's a big week for them. You know, Cincinnati comes to town. We did a little bit on Cincinnati yesterday, so you can go back and listen to that. And then they head out to Minnesota for the weekend. I think, I'm not saying it's house money at all because these games matter against the Reds, but I do think getting Minnesota after is a nice buffer piece where even if you do stumble, you do have a team like the Twins waiting for you on the weekend. And the Twins have been kind of up and down. They've been sort of how they've been all season, right? They're not like, red hot where you're like, oh man, we got to worry about the Twins like the Royals are. And the Brewers couldn't beat the Royals, but like the Royals are playing really good baseball right now. And my dumb ass bet against them yesterday, but that's here nor there. But that like, that's not what they're dealing with. Or even the Diamondbacks, right? I think they lost yesterday, but still they've been playing good baseball. So it's like, there are certain teams, even though they're struggling in terms of record wise that are playing well, I wouldn't put the Twins in that conversation. And so you do have that as a backstop but you wanna take care of business. And if you can kind of punch Cincinnati in the mouth here and say, all right, you're gonna stay at the second position, just focus on the wild card. That's a major statement. It starts tonight. Hopefully the Brewers can get off on the right foot. They didn't last last series against the Nationals and then came back to win the two. But with Corbin Burns on the mound, hopefully they can get it done. Tyler Molly has been very good against the Brewers this season. So hopefully they can figure him out. And we'll obviously react to it on Wednesday's show. So look forward to that. To wrap up the show, we are going to do our Eye on the Enemy series, which we've done a few few daily taps here. And we're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints. So New Orleans Saints are a fascinating team. Uh, The Saints are a little different than what they were last season. There is no... Drew Brees, there's no Michael Thomas for now. Uh, Michael Thomas dealing with quite the contract dispute. The Saints are are looking a lot different than what they were. Jameis Winston is likely gonna be their quarterback. I think it would be foolish to expect anything else. I think Jameis Winston will be that quarterback to start the season. Now, how that will work for Sean Payton, it's unknown. Jameis is a whirling dervish. He reminds me a lot of Brett Favre when it comes to the decision-making. I think there's never been a quarterback since Favre where I look at him and I'm like, I can't believe he threw that ball. Jameis has a lot of that. I can't believe he threw that ball. Mahomes does too. But Jameis has more of the reckless abandon. So I think with the Packers and game one of the season, I think you can take advantage of the Saints. I think the Packers are playing the Saints at the perfect time of the season. Now it'll be loud. It will be rowdy in the Caesar Superdome, right? Like that's gonna be a rowdy ass atmosphere. It'll be the first time they have a full dome of fans. That place is one of the toughest to play. They definitely have a home field advantage. But dealing with the transition from Drew Brees to likely Jameis Winston, we'll talk about Taysom Hill in a second here but it's likely gonna be Jameis Winston, is going to take a lot. And the fact that they don't have much at wide receiver. And I have some guys who are castaways like your Marquez Calloway, your little Jordan Humphrey. Can they sort of show up? Ty Montgomery is back to being a receiver. They have Chris Hogan, right? So they have some dudes, but it's not great. Um, Adam Troutman was carted off yesterday. It looks like he might be out for the season. So then they also lose again at the tight end position. So again, another injury. They don't have their kicker. Will Lutz is hurt. So Aldrick Rosas is their kicker now. So they they continue to be sort of banged up, right? They continue to have sort of injury issues. Now their defense is nothing to shake your dick at. This is a very tough defense. This will not be an easy start for Aaron Rodgers dealing with Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport on the ends. DeMario Davis is a solid middle linebacker. Those who just listened to the early part of this podcast are going to snicker at that, but he is. He's a good middle linebacker, right? Um, Quan Alexander was kind he's been, you know, unpredictable at times, but can be can be solid. Malcolm Jenkins is washed up so you can take advantage of the the strong safety position. I think if you look at this team and you look at where you can take advantage, it's that safety position. You know, Jenkins, Marcus Williams doesn't do a ton for me. I think you can hit this team over the middle. So I do expect it to be a little bit of a different game than what we saw last season where the Packers lit up the Saints and were just very comfortable against that defense. I don't expect that. I expect there to be it be a little tighter, but I do think you see that the Packer defense make a lot of plays on Jameis Winston and get short fields because of it, because the Jameis Winston decision making has never really proven itself to work. And I know I understand that people are higher on Jameis than than maybe Taysom Hill, but still, it's it's not much, and I just don't see Jameis as a, start, a long-term starting quarterback option. In a weird way, I actually think Ian Book's gonna be good for the Saints. Like I think, maybe not this year, but I do think Ian Book has some potential to be a long-term starter in the NFL. Taysom Hill might retire. He's like, I want to play quarterback. That's all I really want to play. He had that quote yesterday and I just don't see it. Like if, if Taysom Hill gets named the starter for the New Orleans Saints, the Packers should be favored by easily seven points on the road. I, I just think Taysom is bad. Like, I just do not see it with Taysom Hill. Maybe Sean Payton could figure it out, but I think the Packers would be able to key, on, key in on Taysom Hill and just absolutely eat. And I actually think even with Jameis, like the Packers are a sneaky fantasy flyer defense-wise in week one. Like, I really do. I think, I think they can make some real plays and it's gonna take some time. The one thing they do have, that works to their advantage. They have a very good offensive line. Toronto Armstead, Ryan Ramchek, Cesar Ruiz, Andres Pete. Those are all top picks. I think they're all top 100 picks. Like they're very good up up front. So that to me gives me a little bit of trepidation. Alvin Kamara also had some big big uh, big moments against this, the Packers last season. We'll see what Kamara and Winston's relationship is out the gate. Right. Is Jameis Winston going to be able to check down to Kamara to on a regular basis? I don't know. We'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see that. I just think there is a lot of unknown with the Saints and their defense is going to be relied on a lot. And for the Packers, it works to their advantage that they're facing them so early in the season. And I think playing the Saints in, let's say October and November is, is not going to be as fun as playing them in September. I could see New Orleans, you know, starting out one and two or one and three, and then kind of turning it on as, as the year goes on. Uh, but their schedule, not not the easiest, right? You play, you play Green Bay to start the season and then you go to Carolina, could be good, could may not. Then to new New England and then you got new New York and Washington. So we'll see we'll see what the Saints do. I'm very fascinated in their season. I think from like a over-under perspective this season, I would not touch the Saints with a 10 foot pole. I just I I think they are a pure stay away. Um I, I like the Packers in terms of a if you're making a week one bet, um, with this, I think the line was three to the Packers last checked. I'm sure it's changed. But I would still bet the Packers, I, but I would not touch anything when it comes to uh, the Saints in terms of the future market, because I have no idea what you're gonna get from this team as the season goes on. I think they're one of the more unpredictable teams in the NFL this season. Um, just with all the transition they've had, all the injuries, some of the drama with like Mike, Mike Thomas, I just don't know what you're gonna get. But I do feel pretty good about the Packers in week one. All right, that does it for our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about roster construction for the Green Bay Packers. We'll also talk about uh, the Reds and Brewers, and we'll do an eye on the enemy with San Francisco, um, one of the teams that I can't stand, so I'll probably be a little bit cranky about it, but we'll talk about the San Francisco 49ers on Tuesday and then that, or Wednesday, excuse me. And that'll be our last show of the week. And, or well, last like live show. We'll do, I have a badger topic for Thursday that we'll do. And then we'll do a couple Ion on enemies, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And then we'll do yet another one on Friday. Um, so look forward to that. Take care, have a good one. We'll talk tomorrow. See you, bye.